We are overconnected and overworked. We suffer from social and technology overload. We rarely experience the joy of solitude or the respite of nature. We are always on. We never turn off. That's why we started the Getaway Podcast. I'm Pete Davis. And I'm John Staff. Today we're joined by Andy Pettis. Andy is the director of horticulture at the Highline, which means that she leads a world-class team of gardeners and is caring for a unique and sophisticated urban landscape. Her horticulture career in New York City spans more than two decades and includes gardening in both private and public gardens, managing parks, and teaching at the New York Botanical Garden. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. Nice we, to be here. we start every episode with a little ritual mm. called locking up our cell phones. Oh, good. So if you what have your cell phone on you, we're going to stick it in this special cell phone locking zone, the drawer in our tiny cabin podcast studio. How does it feel? Done. <laughs> I did it. I told you it was a weird podcast. Didn't I? <laughs> you did. I've, I've been warned, duly. Yep. Can you just start by telling us, like, for those, I think everybody knows about the Highline, but maybe a couple of folks don't. It's been a massive success. Mm-hmm. You've been with it since the beginning. So just tell us what it is and give us a little history of the Highline. And just one thing before you jump into that. Most public projects that are big dreams fizzle. This is a public project that was a big dream that everyone's happy with. So this is an exciting thing. Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been tremendously successful, which is really gratifying. Um, so the High Line is a public park in New York City that is built on a, an old railroad trestle 30 feet above Manhattan on the west side. Um, originally, the railroad was at ground level, but as, the, as Manhattan got more and more populated, um, there were accidents happening all the time. People were being killed. And so in the 1930s, the uh, railroad and the city got together and finally decided to build this structure, an elevated rail line. Um, and that is the high line that we know. Um, by the 1980s, the trains had stopped running uh, when you know trucking, truck shipping uh, became the preferred mode of transportation for goods. And, um, and the plants took over. Um, and so... There, there were these really beautiful meadow-like landscapes, and there were places where there were thickets of trees. And on the elevated rail on line? On the elevated rail line, yeah. And plants, it was abandoned at this time. It was, it was not in use at this time, and plants, you know, plants are tenacious. They will find any little bit of soil. They will that find they can, you. They will find you. Any little nook or cranny. Um, yeah, nature finds its way into the most interesting places in the city, and that is what is so romantic about that this project for me um and one of the reasons i was so excited to work on it when i started as a gardener when the park opened um is just that story is is really um poignant to me the the plants the plants don't need us they will they will find a way so instead of trying to beat them we joined them and said let's make this a park yeah exactly so yeah uh the co-founders robert uh, Hammond and Josh David met at a community board meeting where the the demolition of the High Line was being discussed, and they were both looking for whatever organization or group of people, group of citizens who were trying to save the structure, and that didn't exist. They happened to sit next to each other, and so they founded Friends of the High Line, and the rest is history. And in 2009, this beautiful park in the sky opened up. I can't even imagine having the thought of wanting to save this rusty, derelict, dangerous, you know, plant-covered, but not beautifully plant-covered structure. 
Like, where did the thought even come from that this could be a great well, thing before you even get to the idea that how the hell are we going to convince anybody to let us do this? Right. Yeah. So um, you say not particularly beautiful, but if you see photographs. I figured that wasn't going to go over well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where the. the not I well mean, that taken was the, the plants were the kernel of the idea um, because people who found their way up to the High Line when it wasn't legal um, saw these beautiful landscapes, these these really kind of desolate meadow-like landscapes. Um, and Josh David and Robert Hammond hired a photographer, Joel Sternfeld, to take some some really beautiful, stunning images of, of these landscapes in all seasons. And these are the photographs that they used to really galvanize support around this project. Um, doesn't hurt that they had lots and lots of connections and knew lots and lots of people. Um, and they made it happen. So that's a briefing on what the High Line is. What is horticulture? We're going to get all the things of director of horticulture. I'm really the excited to yeah. learn. Yeah, so horticulture is, by definition, the art, science, and business of growing plants, cultivating plants. Um, so, you know, there's there, horticulture plays a big part in our economy. It's, you know, all the the lawn care businesses and public horticulture, public gardens, public parks, um, you know, golf courses, and uh, all of that falls under horticulture. I used to live near Fort Greene Park, mm-hmm. beautiful park. Yeah, and they've got great gardeners there. The gardener there is amazing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it's a gorgeous park. Shout and, out. Uh, and on, uh, but on Saturdays, shout out too, they have a farmer's market. Saturdays, Sundays. Mm-hmm. Johnny, you live there. Saturdays. Saturdays. And they got a guy there selling cactuses. And I go to the guy and I say, give me, I need some cactus. Give me three cactuses. I say, what do John's I have to do? cactus dealer. <laughs> yeah. I say, what do you, he says, you don't have to do anything. You give it some water between May and October and otherwise no water. Mm-hmm. They died on me almost immediately. Hmm. Did you overwater them? That's the biggest I, I killer of cacti, actually. Is it? Yeah. Well, when they, I thought I underwatered them mm. and then when they started dying, I gave them a lot of water. Yeah. I mean, it, either way, overwatering or underwatering will kill plant. Um, I what I, got I, would s- I got some white fungus going on. Yeah, that's a whole other issue altogether. How do you become a horticulturalist? Is it a, is it a major in school? Is it you know? Did you have a moment one day where you're like, wait, I wanna, hmm. want to take this gardening to the next level? No, I wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> Really? Really. Okay. Yeah, I have a degree in dance. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I moved to New York City with this degree in dance, and I was looking for work in arts programming and failing miserably. And uh, the woman I was staying with at the time was having some work done on her backyard. And the garden designer saw me moping around in my pajamas, like printing off resumes like mad. And she offered me work for her company, for her design company in Brooklyn. And so I started gardening with her. And, and had you ever gardened before? I mean, I had I had tried to help my mom weed and actually ended up <laughs> pulling out all of the impatience she had just planted. Like, <laughs> as a teenager, like, yeah, I had no no green thumb going into this. No, never occurred to me that it could be a career. Um, but yeah, I ended up managing her projects and her crews and uh, finally decided to get some formal training. There's an internship program at Brooklyn Botanic Garden that includes a certificate in horticulture. It's a really great program. You work with world-class gardeners there. Um, and so I, I did that. And then I worked um, in parks for a minute. And then I got hired at the High Line. And I want to hear 
I think we all have an intrinsic answer to this, but why is it good? Why is it good? Yeah. Horticulture? Yeah. Why are plants good? Why are plants plants? good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, being around plants, there's all kinds of research that shows that it's good for us mentally and physically. It lowers your heart rate. It increases your attention span and your ability to concentrate. There are, you know, they've shown that uh, people recovering in hospitals recover faster if they have a view of something green. There are all kinds of reasons why it's good for us to be around nature. But also, you know, we can't be here if plants aren't here. They make our oxygen, right? That's why. Ultimately, that is why horticulture is important. (laughs) And I wanted to get back to your question about is it a major in school? It is a major in school. Botany and horticulture both are things that you can do as a career path. Um, And there's actually a kind of a crisis in horticulture Um, businesses, especially landscaping and garden design businesses, just can't get qualified people. Oh, wow. A rare industry where there's a supply. Yeah. And there are good jobs. There there are good, you know, lucrative jobs out there. Um, But but young people just aren't going into the field the way they used to. Um, Botany doesn't get taught in schools anymore. Um, There's this phenomenon we talk about in horticulture called plant blindness, where people just, you know, they see plants and they just see green. They just see a screen of green and Mm -hmm. they don't don't differentiate individual organisms in that. My mom and my grandma, it's like an amazing, so it's not even grandma, it's like my mom can name every single flower. And I go, mom, were you into flowers? She goes, no, this is what we were taught. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't able to to turn 18 before I learned all the flowers, Mm -hmm. all the trees. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, we're definitely losing something. Because, you know, when I was hearing your story about you know, I wanted to be a dancer, but then I ended up being a horticulturist. Usually those stories end with like, I'm an insurance salesman now. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> this is like another delightful, splendid, yeah. creative job. And, yeah. you know, more people should well, get involved. Well, and that's the thing. I think um, I actually know a lot of dancers. Um, and I did do some dancing. I didn't give it up completely. But I know a lot of dancers who go into horticulture and also visual artists um, and musicians because it is... It is a very creative job, and it is performative. Um, the plants, the plants are sort of the players, they and they change over the season. Yeah, um, so that's a really gratifying part of the work. I'm thinking about what you said about being around plants is really good for us. It calms us down. It de-stresses us. That's all been proven by science, right? It's not just a feeling. And then there's these job openings where you can get a job where you're surrounded by stuff that calms us down. Yeah. Yeah, you run this massively successful garden. I know it's more than that, but yeah. are there, my question for you, are there stressed out gardeners? Or is, just, <laughs> is everyone just so happy when they take these jobs? I mean, I think, so public horticulture is a special beast because it's public. You're in the public eye. And so it can, it can sometimes be stressful in that way um, when, you know, you're barraged with people all the time but it's also it can also be it's also one of the most gratifying parts of the job is when people stop and say you know the the gardens look gorgeous thank you so much for doing this this is amazing and then they say where's chelsea market (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's probably like the biggest question we get where where, where does the stress come from is it the you know the grasses are dying or is there a garden critic in america that writes the like big review a garden critic 
Or are do newspapers like write? Oh reviews yeah. Of, so the like, Washington the Washington Post has a, a column. Um, I think the New York Times used to, but now Amazing. they just have like an article. Don't you think here this is? There. I don't think this needs critique. I think if there's no, a no, garden, it's a that's work good. Work of art. What? Criticism well, but, raises but, up the art. But why do we want to tear down somebody who's planted something? No, it's just, criticism it's all good. brings out the joy of it. Okay. Well, these so it, it's <laughs> more than criticism. It's 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 more. Some of it is how to like there is garden writing out there, and a lot of it is how tos, and a lot of it is just. Descriptions of these beautiful gardens or restored gardens or new gardens. Um, so that's a lot of what the garden writing I is. see. So they don't say like, the High Line spring season really misses the mark. <laughs> <laughs> like the marigold placement was just far from what we've seen I've otherwise. I've never read, no, I've okay. never, but yeah. I did read, you know, one of our getaway heroes. I'd love to hear from an expert. One of our good right here is this Frederick Olmsted. Yeah. The cliche here. Probably Absolutely. cliche to you, but maybe new to some of our viewers. He invented, like, Amer- he's the American gardener. Is he a good guy? Well, this is what they Does said. Does he, like, he- live up to the reputation? I mean, his parks are beautiful and his, yeah. you know, his and he worked with city planners like the city of Buffalo is has Olmstead avenues and, and greenways all throughout it. And so in that way, he was really, really formative in American landscape. Um, and yeah, I mean, the way he he framed views is beautiful. And the way he created topography was really kind of a new way of doing things. Um, so yeah, he he was a he's a very important player. Respect the and, work. Yeah, absolutely. What they said in his writing when we were looking into some of it, they said, you know, in the British gardens, it would be like rows of flowers, and you'd be like, there are the poppies, there are the this, there are the that, and Olmsted wants you to not have your like critical analytical mind on when mm-hmm. you're looking at his landscapes. He wanted them to. Uh, like come in all at once yeah. and sneak up on you. Like what when you're designing the Highline uh, yeah. plants, is is there something like that? Do you want people to notice the plants, or are you successful when they don't notice them and just experience and feel them? Mm, I think it's a little of both. Um, so the Highline Gardens are were designed originally by Pete Udolf and are still being designed by Pete Udolf. Where there's a new section of the garden of the park opening soon. Um, and Pete Udolf is a very famous planting designer from the Netherlands who is really well known for his naturalistic landscapes. Um, and I think one of the very special things about his designs is that it is both. Like, so you can take the long view and you can really see these, these gorgeous lush textures and patterns in a landscape that on immediate notice might seem to be just kind of haphazard and chaotic, but then you're, you, you start to see the pattern and the order, um, which is emulating nature. And then also, um, he really uses the plants in, in a very different way than many gardeners do. He um, is interested in the entire life cycle of the plant so that the, the dried up seed heads and the dead stalks and the you know dried... Um, grasses that are kind of turning tawny in the fall are just as important to him as those flowers are in the spring and summer. Um, so we leave all that in in the fall and winter landscape all year round. And what what is really interesting about that is that then you see the long view, these textures and patterns in a whole new palette, right, of colors and in very different light throughout the seasons, which is very, very cool. Um, but then also you start to notice things about, you know, like the structures of the seed heads and the colors of the stalks. And so you do, it, it does kind of draw your eye into those kinds of details. 
and what I love about the High Line and, and everything we're talking about is it, it can be, you know, on one hand, just simply beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. That's an achievement to create that. On the other hand, really important. So I'm curious to hear from you about, you know, successes of the High Line. Can you think of stories, you know, that have gotten back to you about, you know, this thing didn't exist and now it exists and how has that impacted people's lives? Hmm. I mean... You know, it's an interesting thing. I think um, one thing about the High Line is that it has has also been known as, um, or there's a perception, there has been a perception that the High Line is for rich white people. Um, sometimes I tell people that the High Line is a public park, and they did not know that. I've heard people ask if, you know, how much does it cost to get into the High Line? Wow. And I say, no, 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 no. It's a New York City public park run by this organization, the High Line, which, you know, raises money for it, um, for the maintenance and management of it. Um, so I think trying to change that perception of what the High Line is and who it's for is a big part of the work we're doing right now. Um, we're, we're working really hard to engage our community, um, you know, the, the High Line runs through several neighborhoods that, you know, existed long before um, we did or any of the development that um, has been spurred has been happening. And so we are, we are one of our biggest um, ambitions right now is to make sure that those people know that the High Line is for them um, and that it is a place where they can go for respite and programming and jobs and food and all of those other things that the High Line can be. You once took to Twitter, speaking of respite, you once yeah. took to Twitter and said you offered the park up as a healing space uh, for people after a certain uh, traumatic event for many New Yorkers that took place <laughs> in the November of 2016, um, which is, uh, what do you mean by the park is a healing space? The um, So again, going back to this idea that nature is is healing to human beings um, and the idea of biophilia which is um, you know it biophilia is the idea that human beings are innately attracted to other living organisms particularly plants and and that kind of nature um, and the High Line is a place that you can you know it, one of the magical things about the High Line is that you can stand on the High Line 30 feet above the streets of Manhattan and you can look down and you're close enough to the streets that you can make eye contact with people and you're still part of the city and you can also get lost in the landscape and lost in the the feeling of um, that kind of there, there in parts of the High Line there is still a feeling of almost desolation and being away from the world and away from um, but then you look to your right and there's a you know an Armani billboard right there um, <laughs> But it's as every park should have. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget your Armani. Yeah. It's a really nice place just to be able to walk and wander and kind of forget and also still be present in the city. And it's a really good reminder that nature is present in the city all around us if if we know where to look and how to look for it. Before, you know, we're going to have to ask about bringing plants into a normal question about bringing plants into people's lives. But I have to ask my one weird question of the yeah, day. Yeah, do it. Um, my, the article of all the articles I've read, the article I think about most by ever? far. All the articles? Of all, the, of all the articles <laughs> I've ever read. The one I think about the most by far is Michael Pollan's The Intelligent Plant 
yeah. in the New Yorker in which he makes the case rather comprehensively that there's a lot more to plant intelligence yeah. than we think. So plants are hearing, plants are remembering. Do you believe yeah. it? I mean, I I do. I I believe in plant intelligence. And I am one of those people who who hate to anthropomorphize plants. Like I think it's just silly. <laughs> the plant is however, happy. <laughs> however, we don't have language for that kind of intelligence. So how do we describe it other than to say the plant is scared or the plant is in pain or the plant is talking to another plant, you know? So until we have, until we've developed some language for that, I, I think that's the best we have. And it sounds silly and people make fun of it. But I, but I think it's really true. I mean, there's all kinds of evidence that um, plants communicate with each other through chemistry and through uh, pheromones. And um, it's really, really interesting research. Um, to get a little bit weird, I was in Florence this summer and uh, at a museum there, there was an exhibit about exactly this. Um, they they had, uh, so, so the premise was that do plants get scared, right? And so, um, or how, how do plants react to fear, um, particularly human fear? So you w- the idea was that visitors were given a plant to hold, a bean plant to hold, and then they would go in and they would watch a few minutes of a funny movie. And then they would give the plant to the researcher and the researcher would take their name and, and you know, record all the information. Get and ready. then another visitor would yes. go in with a bean plant and watch a few minutes of a scary movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then they would take down all the information and the visitor's name. And then they studied the growth of the plants. Um, so this was the premise. And I don't think they came to any particular conclusion. Oh, no! It's, <laughs> an, it's, it's an art exhibit, right? It's, it's about the performance of yes. it rather than... Yeah. So the, the other part of it, plants. though, was that they had these giant twisty slides in the middle of the museum <laughs> that you <laughs> could... turn. <laughs> and it was one of these things where you ride a potato sack down the twisty slide and you would hold a bean plant. And like they, the idea was that they were going to track the plants and see how the plants reacted to your um, emotions as you were riding the slide. What? Go on YouTube, listener. Watch a video of a plant sped up. <laughs> and it looks like it's like trying to do something. Yeah. You know, this plant trying to get to a pole and it's like tries and then it's dejected and then it tries again and then it finally gets it and then it feels like more lively. You know, we don't know. The High Line benefits from being in New York City. First of all, you have this this beautiful old railroad trestle, of which maybe there are others in other cities, but they're not everywhere. New York has a lot of people with a lot of money that are supportive of great projects like yours. Um, you know, the you know, city is more or less doing well. What about other cities that want to do a great intervention? Is there anything that the High Line can teach cities around the world? Well, I think the Highline is a real inspiration for those kinds of projects. And um, rather than us teaching other projects how to do it, um, we have actually started a network, the Highline Network, which is a network of, I think, about 100 projects all over the world that are similar to the Highline, reusing infrastructure. The Beltline in Atlanta. The Beltline in Atlanta. There, Yeah, there are, are dozens and dozens of them all over the world. But rather than, like... You know, rather than taking it from us, we're asking people to come together and talk about this all together. Um, how can you? For and there are some things that that we could have done differently. That I think, in retrospect, we might have done differently. How can you curb 
rampant gentrification in a neighborhood around a park like this that suddenly you know raises revenues everywhere astronomically um, how do you keep people from being displaced when you're working on these kinds of projects how do you fundraise how do you you know what how do you design and who do you get design input from do you just say this is what it's going to look like because this is what we want or do you go to the community and say what do you want that this park or this public space to be um, so those are the kinds of big issues that that the, the Highline Network is 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 uh, sort of creating the space to talk about. Andy Pettis, thank you. Thank you so much. This Next was time, fun. I'd like some advice for my cacti. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Visit getaway.house for slash more, slash podcast. Yes. For more info on our guests and extras from the episode you just heard, including pictures, uh, you can also write into us to talk about your responses to the guests or your own stories of needing counterbalance in your life at podcast at getaway.house, or you can leave us a voicemail. Talk about analog here. Leave us a voicemail at 323-616-2929. That's 323-616-2929. Don't you think we should give out the mailing address? Yes. Get uh, away. 147 Prince Street, Brooklyn, New York. 11201. You could write you us a letter. Send us a card. If or you... just, you know, drop by. <laughs> cause problems in our workday. Special thanks to Johnny Fung for the vibe Thank music. you, Johnny. And audio engineering. Our producer is Alexandra De Palma. Thank you, Alex. We're grateful for the entire Getaway team and our guest. As a thank you to listeners, we'd love to invite you to try Getaway and experience some balance in your life. Tiny cabins in the woods, rent them out by the night, cell phone lockbox, it's great. Enjoy $25 off. We're given $25 off all bookings on our site with the code PODCAST25. Code is in all caps. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-25. I don't think it matters if it's in caps or not. <laughs> I don't know we'll how report computers back. work. <laughs>